0: medical department, only two go to the bench and we are more than a dozen. We don't train, we only recover. That's the that's situation. What preparation, hard work, confidence in overcoming those difficult moments. Today we are still outside Liverpool and we are going to the first part of our medical test. Welcome to this Football Medicine and Performance Podcast. I'm Dara Rooney, a doctor working in football and an editor at the FMPA. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Johnny Laurie. Johnny is an author and keen football fan following England and Sutton United home and away. His first book, Six Out of the Minutes, was written whilst he was at university and published in November 2019. As well as being an author, Johnny has a keen interest in mental health based on his own experiences as a teenager. His second book, Match Fit, is inspired by a desire to ensure mental health does not remain a taboo subject in society, and more specifically football. It takes an in-depth look at mental health in football with the hope of destigmatizing this much neglected topic. So today we'll be discussing Johnny's book, How It Came to fruition, and what it means for mental health and football going forward. Thanks very much for joining us, Johnny. Thanks for having me on, Dara. What we always do in the first question, Johnny, is just look at your journey to date again. So if you wouldn't mind just summarising for the listeners, a bit of a, a background from from football, the author, for you.
1: Yeah, so I've always been obsessed with football really. Um like like you said uh, in your intro there, grew up a Sutton United fan. I think I've been a season ticket holder 13 years now um, started watching England uh, my first ever England game was actually the world cup semi-final in 2018 so kind of uh, jumped in a bit there and have, have loved it ever since and say when I was a teenager um, obsessed with football but um, struggled with my mental health without actually knowing it um, I had periods where I was very down a lot of the time didn't want to go into school um, struggled with socializing as well had quite bad anxiety i um, related to social situations and never really understood what I was going through. I probably never even heard or acknowledged the term mental health um, until I went to university, really. So I'm 24 years old now. So we're talking six years ago when I went to uni. And it was a bit of an epiphany. Um, and I thought the idea behind match really, um, was that I, I wouldn't have read a book about specifically mental health when I was a teenager, didn't know what it was, didn't really want to acknowledge it. But I mean, would have and did read a lot about football. So the thinking was I could use football as a way of starting a conversation around mental health to help people learn more about their own mental health, to acknowledge their mental health, maybe have a little bit um, with policy recommendations, things like that um, along the way. But the main aim really um, is to get everyone talking. Um, match fits my second book. Uh, my, my first book six out of minutes like you say um, came out in November 2019 um, I wrote that uh, in the gap between my first and second year of uni um, after my exams a, a time period where basically as a student you don't have a lot to do I had the odd student job but not not much else and I found really um, it was a coping mechanism for my own mental health just gave me something to fill the time I don't like uh doing nothing. I don't relax very well um, is, is one thing my therapist has told me, which uh, makes sense, makes a lot of sense. So um, I really started writing to the benefit of my own mental health and now I've carried that on to to try and help others with
0: theirs as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that, that fits nicely under, under my next question, um, more about your second book, Match Fit, an exploration in mental health and football. I think you summarised nicely how it came about. But what is it about? Um, you know, if if you were trying to summarize it to a football player, you know, what's what's it about and 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 why should they why should they read it?
1: Yeah, so broadly the the topic of mental health and football, um, there is a wide variety of stuff in the book. So there's 13 different chapters. Um there's some stuff on the challenges faced by professional players. Um football is a very emotionally taxing sport. I think there's a lot of pressure on it. Um, there can be practical concerns. If if you're playing in the Premier League, you might not be worrying about money. But if you're in League Two um, and you're in your thirties, the chances are you are. Um, you might have issues with injury. Uh, addiction is quite common amongst footballers. So that all of these things, um, it I think it gives an awareness on the topic, but it's signposts as well. Um, each chapter will mention um, the, the services that are available to so players, managers supporters um, whatever it may be that there's something really for everyone in the football world I think for supporters like myself really um, people will read it and learn a lot um, learn about the the players they support at the weekend the, the manager who, who manages the you know the, the team they love the referees that you know we, we wouldn't have a game without for the player, I think the signposting is crucial. Um, I think it can hopefully help them understand themselves a little bit, help them feel okay with struggling with their mental health at times. So I think football is probably still a, a very macho sport and there is the idea, less so than 10 years ago, but still there, that talking about your mental health is a weakness. And I've used this book and the, the chapters about footballers in it to show that's not the case. I mean, we're all better versions of ourselves when we are open with our mental health and we feel confident in getting the support when we need it. We all go through tough times in life. You know, whether you're the happiest person alive, you will go through bad days. And you can come out of that a lot better if you are able and confident in receiving support. There are players I spoke to, um, Marvin Sordell was a good example, someone I interviewed for the book. He said one of the worst things of, of his playing days was the guilt around struggling with his mental health. Cause he thought, well, you know, being a footballer, it's a great life. Some other people have it much harder than me. So why do I feel um why do I feel low? And the the book looks into that um idea amongst many other things. And it, it really just highlights that, you know, we, we can all feel um you know, we all have bad days, we can all feel down. It mental health doesn't discriminate based on how much money you earn, what you do for a job um so hopefully it takes a bit of the guilt away um saying it just will help players feel confident in in reaching out for for help and, and understanding themselves
0: yeah uh, that's that's really interesting and really important and you mentioned there about signposting and this this is something that I've been asked about a few times and players especially now may be reluctant to seek help internally whether that's fear of and being judged by coaches or fear of exclusion from from mass play what um what services are available for players um at the moment and and anyway if, if there is a player listening to this podcast where can they seek help externally from the club
1: yeah so we've made a lot of progress in the football world over the last 10 years um so i spoke to the pfa um for the book and i spoke to the lma so there's something for managers as well the pfa really ramped up their services in in the wake of what happened to Gary Speed um, around 10 years ago. So kind of learning from a from a tragedy, if you like. Um, so they've got anyone who's played professional football from the Premier League down to League Two um, will be or has the ability to be a lifetime member of the PFA. They have an anonymous counselling service. Um, I think you can access a counsellor within a 30-minute drive of your house. So they, they've got a nationwide network of counsellors um, and it, it's obviously done um, on an anonymous basis. So players can reach out. Um, the PFA will cover the costs um, and and receive that support anonymously, which I think is great. Um, it's linked to Sports Chance Clinic, um, which is a fantastic service that's available. Um, it's probably best known um, for helping players cope with addiction, um, but it's not exclusively uh, addiction, and it, it helps players deal with. So Sports Enchance is a great one. Um, the LMA have something similar, um, like a 24-hour counselling service available for all members. Um, that Crucially, it, it helps uh, members' families as well, the immediate dependents. So uh, I think with football and especially management, it's a, a very stressful job. You're in the spotlight, even in League Two, realistically. Um, they, they, these aren't small clubs that we're talking about and there is pressure there. Um, so the, the support is available for immediate family members to, to help them cope with the, the stresses of the job as well. Non-league players um, is important as well because you're not necessarily covered by the PFA as a non-league player. Probably the best way that I've found from researching for this book to get support is to be signed up with an insurance company. Um, A lot of players, I think it's um, an FA requirement to have some form of insurance, but the lowest uh, cost type, it, it doesn't really do much for you, to be honest. Um, so I spoke to a guy, uh, Francis Duke, who, um, runs a company called Our Game, and their insurance includes mental health support. So if you feel like you need counselling, you can access that. So I'd recommend looking into the insurance companies that are available. It should hopefully be something that your club might be able to help you cover. If not, it's still something, um, practical reasons as well, if you're um, on a non-contract basis or you're probably maximum a one-year contract in non-league football anyway and you suffer a serious injury it might affect not only your football earnings but your your earnings if you're self-employed um in in other work that you do so these insurance companies i think are, are really important and um if you're not covered by the pfa then it's definitely something that i would say it's worth having a look at yeah that's really
0: useful and i think sometimes I know especially I wasn't aware of some of the services that were available there so it's great to know that they are they are right there. Moving on we we often talk about what we what we're not doing well with mental health in the English game what are we doing well at the moment and what are some of the good points and and how have we progressed in recent years. Well as I
1: just explained now I think that the services are there the services are good um and support if players need it, is available, um, whether that's something they get through the PFA, whether that's something they can get through insurance, there is something there for everyone. Um, the, the aspect of normalising mental health to, to for players to feel confident and, and reach out to those services is a, another topic, and maybe we can cover that later. But I think the, the services themselves are there. It, it's so much of an improvement from 10 years ago. And you, the, again, the, the research that I've done, and you go back to to 2012 before uh, around about the time the PFA set up the well-being department that it has th- there really wasn't a lot in football at all um, to services I think that we have now are good I think the normalization of mental health uh, that I talk about is starting to happen at academy level so th- this is a, a pro con, um, and I'll probably segue between the two a little bit so a lot of the time at academy level there will be a psychologist working with the players. From the research that I've done, it's, it's becoming quite normal within clubs now. The younger generation in general are becoming more clued up on mental health. So I genuinely feel that 20 years down the line, you know, today's players are tomorrow's managers and the, the the dinosaurs you might hear about or outdated attitudes will begin to phase out of the game. Players want to play for managers that care about them as people now. And certainly 20 years down the line, that will be the case. So I think within academies, mental health support is improving. And uh, it bodes well for later down the line. However, in first team environments, um, it's different. So uh, there's certain clubs that I looked at, I won't name them, um, where the mental health um, provision in the academy team is great. You get to the first team and they don't, there's nothing um, no, no sports psychologists you know no sort of support it, it, you essentially just want to be going to those anonymous services that we talked about earlier which is fine and those services are there but i think that it will create attitudes uh, by not having that support that it's not not okay to do so so i think the some of the support that's available at academy level if it that could be extended up to first team level and i think that has performance benefits as well i, I see teams that go and losing streaks that that don't have the psychological support in place to help players through it I mean football is how much of football is played with the ball at your feet not a lot Um, it's a lot of it's tactical and a lot of it's mental as well so it's it's not just an area we can improve in mental health I think it's something that will hopefully become more normalized in
0: a performance perspective as well yeah that's that's really interesting and you know the golden question is what needs to be done? You know, you've you done a lot of research into this now and you've probably seen a whole lot of clubs who are doing great things. Probably some clubs who aren't doing so much. So on, on a wider scale, what needs to be done to better support the mental health of footballers, particularly in the English game? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll answer that in two parts. So in current players, um, they kind of link together, but current players, I think the the way we get psychology in general to be greater ingrained within football, which will then help mental health outcomes. So to have a psychologist be part of the um part of the team essentially. None of what I'm saying is is my own ideas, by the way. It's all stuff that people in the book have said like, experts that have a lot of knowledge on the topic. It's not just me kind of making this up on the fly. Um, so I spoke to Dr. Misha Jervis and she's a leading psychologist, a real expert in her field. She's worked at clubs like QPR, um, with the academy with the first team as well she said that if she's just you know part of the backroom staff like everyone else she, she's there in a in a tracksuit not a suit i think cuz the the word she used she's just part of the team you know you, as a as a footballer um a, a professional club you might you talk to the physio about your injuries maybe a daily basis you're talking to the coaches you, know, you talk to the psychologist um, just you know, because they're there it's it's not even a mental health conversation it's sort of, alright, how are you doing, how are the kids just just conversation, that means that when you do need to go to the psychologist if you feel like there's something wrong or even if you just need a bit of help or want a bit of help on a performance level it's just normal to do so um, Spokes for another player um, professional footballer who said that there was a perception at the club he was at um and this was only going back five years, that you only go to the psychologist when you have a problem. And that's something that we need to address, I think. In terms of helping players after they've retired, but it's something that needs to be done whilst they're still playing, is education. I think education is really important. Um starting from academy level, because um, I spoke to players that got released from academies and they'd only been ever only ever been offered the option to do a sports BTEC which might be useful for some people, but it's not going to be useful for everyone. I mean, you need to have the choice in there. Not everyone's going to become a football coach when they get released from a professional club at age 18. A lot of players realistically won't even want to stay in football, so they need to have other options. They should be encouraged to to look at those from a young age. Academies will never play professionally at any level is the the brutal truth. And then when you've retired your career in the Premier League, you, you're not going to have enough money to retire off you. You're going to need another job. So I think if we can push players towards education in their spare time, something like the Open University, um, courses like that are great. Um, I mean, players have enough spare time outside of training. Uh, football, the football world, and uh, I'm talking about managers and coaches predominantly here need to see activities like education as uh, beneficial um in a in spare time. It's not a distraction. Um it, it's something that's taken away from their performances. It's something that's really helpful for for the player as a person. It helps them have a balance to their life as well. So I think education is something that um football and, and the, the governing bodies and clubs should have a, a good look at. Yeah, so I, I think education is something that's really important as well. Um for players after they've retired, but it's something that should start whilst they're still playing. Certainly at academy level, um, education needs to be there throughout the time that the players are an academy. I spoke to a lot of boys that have been let go by academy teams and the only option they'd been given was a sports BTEC um, the time they were at their professional club. And that might be useful for some people, but realistically, it's, it's not the right fit for everyone. Um, a, a lot of kids might not even want to stay in football at all haven't been released. So they, they really should be encouraged to to find something that works for them from a young age. In the the brutal reality is that most players in academies uh, will never play professionally at any level. Um, so they certainly need to have a backup plan um, and, and should be looking to, to work out what that is really th- throughout the time they're at that academy. Um, and then if you're playing professionally and you're not in the Premier League for most of your career, you're you're probably going to be struggling for money after you've retired you, you can't just retire and disappear off into the sun i guess in your 30s um you are going to need to have another job players have plenty of time um, outside of training to to study things like the open university um offer a variety of flexible courses that i think are great for players i think the, the football world um Certainly, managers, coaching staff, and I think the fans need to realise this as well. It's, it's not a distraction uh, to be doing something like that in your spare time. Um, it, if you're studying, it prepares you for life after football. And it gives you a good balance in your life as well. Um, so I think education is something that football clubs should look to encourage amongst their players. The associations with the Open University, for example, but and other education providers are available as well. There are plenty of um, the. The kind of online age that we have now, I guess, so there's lots of education options, and I think it's it's really important for the well being of uh, young players that are let go, but also uh, current professionals for for life after football as
0: well. Yeah, that's that's really good advice, Johnny. And I, I guess one question I would have would be, you know, if if there's any academy players, for example, listening to this podcast, or any any footballer who who's struggling with their mental health. From the experience of someone who who's been through that and um you know, has had issues with their mental health, what one piece of advice would you give to them, um, and so so they can best come to terms with that and and, and seek help?
1: Yeah, I think feel confident in getting help. I mean, a lot of the time, and certainly in my own experience. Oh, uh, I mean, I. Well, so I was struggling with my mental health, not understanding what it was, um, therefore obviously not getting support. I mean, nothing really changed. So for my teenage years, I was living something of you know, half a life almost. I wasn't anywhere near my full potential in what I was doing academically in my social life, making friends, relationships, whatever it may be. So I think you become a better version of yourself when you reach out and get that support you feel better about yourself you're more motivated you're more driven you want you, know, you want to get up in the morning and attack the day um and that will extend to your your football as well I mean you will be a better player um uh, for for reaching out and getting mental health support if you need it. So it's not a weakness. Um, football has historically been seen as a macho environment, but the game's developed now. It's much more high tech. The standard has risen. Um, you look at the look at teams like Man City now. I mean, it, this is a higher level of football than has ever been. And mental health and psychology, it, it's a part of that. Um, it's it's seen as a strength now. I think. So really have that confidence to to get support if you feel you need it. To acknowledge your mental health at the very least. Uh, to understand your own mental health and yeah you'll you'll be a, a better version of yourself on and off the pitch uh, because of that.
0: no, that's brilliant, Johnny. thanks very much. and look, thanks very much for joining us today that that really was a refreshing insight into in mental health and football um and hopefully a sign of things to come in the future. Uh, listeners we'll we'll put the link up for Johnny's book and website where you can purchase um uh, and Johnny's other books to date if you enjoyed today please subscribe to the FMPA on our Spotify, SoundCloud or Apple podcast accounts where you can reach all of our podcasts alternatively our podcasts are also available for free by the podcast section on the FMPA website so thanks very much for joining us today Johnny thanks Sarah. you've been listening to the FMPA podcast have a great day